Hello and welcome to The Virtual Frontier, the podcast about virtual teams created by a virtual team. I'm Chris and I'm part of the team here at Flash Hub. On today's episode, we have Christian Klein. Christian is the Senior Advisor for PeopleManagement.org. Christian spoke to us about leading virtual teams from an enterprise perspective. So here is episode 13 of The Virtual Frontier, featuring our guest, Christian Klein. Christian, after all these years of working in large corporate structures and companies, you have decided to transform yourself and your activities. Why don't you tell us a little bit and our audience about the personal career paths you took and your very personal change process over all these years? Thank you, Daniel, for your nice introduction. Um, for sure. Um, uh, I would like to let you know a little bit about my personal career. Uh, well, started many years ago uh, with uh, law studies, and um, after finishing as a German lawyer, I started my professional career at uh, Daimler, um, where I passed my, well, the, the apprenticeship years, I call it always, where I really learned human resources work. And human resources uh, work means Uh, the whole process from recruiting until the retirement. Uh, so what was, have been quite nice for years. And uh, after that, I had the chance to, um, to go to Argentina with my family. And this was an important career step for me uh, in reference to, well, learning intercultural management. Um, the the exposure to a totally different culture was a, a great experience for me and my family and my children. And uh, so one of the highlights at that stage was the, the merger Daimler-Chrysler, where we had to combine three different cultures, the German culture, the Argentinian culture, and the North American Chrysler culture. So different companies, different environments, different people culture. And this was a, a great challenge on the one side and a great experience on the other side uh, that we really reached uh, working together. I call it working together. Well, wow, that's so, great. So you, you, have, you have a lot of experience uh, already with working with remote and distributed teams all over the globe with different cultural backgrounds and uh, in, in big enterprises, like you told with Daimler Chrysler in that time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was, uh, was really, for me at that time, something absolutely new. And you must, must see that at that time, the technology we had in the background, we didn't have internet, we didn't have... Oh, There was the beginning of the internet time, but we didn't have all these nice tools like Zoom today or others. Uh, these communication tools uh, didn't exist at that, at that time. We had video conferencing, which was uh, <laughs> very difficult to do and not like we do now uh, via laptop, uh, seeing each other. Uh, that's uh, totally different and uh, was a great experience to have people around the globe together, connected by telephone line, not seeing each other and uh, with a very low technology level. But, uh, well, we made it. That's great. Yeah. 
And after and after Daimler Chrysler, after Argentina, you I think you moved back to Germany, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I relocated back to Germany. My assignment in Argentina ended, and I relocated to uh, Mannheim region uh, and changed the company. So from a huge technology group, automotive group, to a, a family-owned uh, mid-size group, also global group, but uh, size-wise much smaller. Working directly with the executive board, being involved in uh, important decisions as uh, HR uh, or vice president HR, we named it later, was also a great change on the one side and a very important experience for me. And I did it many years. Right. But but then but then there came like a few years ago the decision uh, And you took a completely different path in your career, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes there come times to to change direction, to do something different. And uh, I started to share my vast experience and my global uh, experiences uh, with other companies, smaller companies, uh, companies from other branches. Uh, I work now with uh, biotech, with medical technology, not not so much with the chemical industry. I did over many years. And this is also an, a new experience, which, uh, which uh, is a lot of fun also. I can imagine that. Yes. Uh -huh. Cool. Um, let me ask you something about uh, um, regarding about your, your uh, wide uh, experience that you have in the uh, traditional industry sector. Would you say that uh, the big traditional enterprises from today are fit for the future? I have like just an example from the announcement that the Deutsche Bank uh, last week that they are going to right now fire over 18,000 people in order to get themselves fit for the future. But to me, it seems like more an act of this, uh, desperation and step that they have should have taken maybe many years ago or their strategy would have to be adapted many years ago. What is your thought about that? Yeah, well, um, you have both. You have uh, some traditional enterprises which are fit for the future and others which, uh, like you said, Uh, they they should have done it uh, many years ago. The restructuring or the the new uh, the, the refocusing on different products or different markets, and uh, so it's difficult to say generally the traditional enterprises are not fit. This is not true, but some of them are not fit. That's for sure. And uh, for me, when I read the newspapers uh, that. Uh, 18,000 people are laid off. Uh, this, this, from an HR point of view, this hurts because it's uh, something went really wrong when you have to do something like that. And uh, many companies, it's a sort of reflex that they, when they have to cut costs, they directly cut headcount instead of looking to other alternatives uh, to enhance uh, productivity. Well, if you have to cut 20% of your whole population, then something is really, then, then uh, something must uh, have gone really wrong. And uh, this is for sure 
not a reflex. This uh, I, I believe that they have thought about all other alternatives before. But then, is, uh, um, to follow up a little bit on this question, is this more a cultural problem or is this a manager problem? Because they, this is this is a, a period that goes over decades and not just a decision that is taken yesterday or two months ago. And they could have foreseen that uh, that process and that what's what's coming up in the market, right? From an HR point of view, I believe that it's a managerial problem and not a cultural problem. Looking around in the industry, uh, this uh, headcount reduction, you see it everywhere in the world. Uh, everywhere where you have the more or less same manager education. So it's a cost block and you have to cut this cost block down. Um, I believe that sometimes or many times it's a lack of creativity. Um, it's easy. No, it's a three equal calculation. You cut down your personal cost, and uh, you you get closer to uh, your uh, desired level of uh, profitability. Um, to change processes, to uh, cut down fixed costs, is much more difficult, uh, and uh, and it's not possible to do it short term. So the the good ones, if you look at the manager cars, the good ones, they have seen it coming and they have this vision and view to the future and they they have done their homework before the situation got that bad. Right, right. Do you have a, do you have a, a big company or a big enterprise, um, especially maybe from Germany? Would you, from what would you say they have foreseen and adapted in the right way? Well, um, I can't say it in detail. I, I know some companies here in Germany, and uh, one of the companies I like very much is Bosch, for example. Um, they always try to avoid headcount cuts. And uh, I, my impression, what I can read about, is that they really have a vision and they think into the future and try to prepare for all alternatives. I think Bosch is a company with a long history and special yeah. treatment for their employees right from the start and yeah. beginning of the company. Mm? Yeah. yeah, they are a traditional company, one of these old guys in the market. But on the other hand, they have quite interesting uh, ideas and interesting solutions. And uh, for example, a few years ago, uh, they changed their performance management and uh, in, in a very, very pragmatic way. And I found the solution they, they uh, published then very interesting to all other companies. What would you say are the biggest obstacles for enterprises to keep up with this increasing speed of change and um, uh, that affects us all over the place and um, change this mode from reactive, defensive into something that is embracing the change and the unknown, to in, and especially in order to get fit for the future? Hmm. Well, in today's environment 
um, one obstacle is is a cultural and a personal imprint. Uh, you can see, uh, for example, once you love to analyze every topic in detail and discuss endless the different alternative solutions, then you will easily lose the touch to the top group. As an example, if you watch today's students, how they learn compared to earlier times, during my studies, we had to go to the library to look into the books and uh, to uh, really to, to search uh, the different opinions. And uh, so we, we had to go through piles of paper uh, discussing legal problems. Nowadays, um, the students, they, they can Google the problem and they get a priority list of uh, five, uh, five books to read or five articles to read. And then very, not very easy, but very fast, they can get to the core of the problem. And so uh, the student who still goes to the library and goes to the books and the articles and this student will will lose contact will lose yeah the liaison to the top group time wise and this is a little you, you can compare it to the companies if you still work with the old tools if you really go into every detail and uh, go through all the documentation and try to find out the last last screw to turn then it may happen that you're too slow you're simply too slow okay i understand that um so so um, i think you talked about uh, just in the entrance in the beginning of our talk about this new uh, leadership styles and um approaches that that you that you need to in order to proceed and progress um as we have this uh, omnipresent uh, environment of changes that is the only consistent that we have today What are our new styles of leadership in, or skills that are requested from uh, persons in company or employees in company? Command and control is out. That's also, if you try to continue con command and control, you're absolutely too slow. You never will speed up with the modern companies And they, and this is the, the leadership which is required today, it's, or the, the, the topic which is required today, is trust. Everything works only with trust. The, the whole networking thing works only with trust. Without trust, a network, especially a virtual network, will not work. So um, the, the leadership skill which is requested is The, the skill to create trust on the one side. On the other side, you need a sort of error culture, yeah? meaning that not the minor error directly lead to the situation that you are fired. So a certain error culture to work with. And uh, yeah, the, the, the being able to speed up with your combat competitors. And you are only able to speed up with your competitors if you trust your people. That's my personal belief. And that's why I am telling everybody that they need to learn to trust each other. 
Yeah, trust and uh, uh, transparency are important key factors. Um, I, I will ask you later on a little bit more in detail about uh, that. Um, as a as an executive coach and and constellation consultant, uh, you help leaders and executive uh, executive coaches uh, to find answers and solutions in order to succeed. For um, what is your personal and professional approach to that? Well, every case or every coaching situation is different, but very often uh, it's um, we have the situation that we are. Uh, in the meeting, during the talk, we, we are like opening a drawer uh, you haven't opened for many time. And so looking into that drawer, uh, very often we, we find surprises and we find things which can be very helpful for the, for the, the, the creation of the future situation. So um, in that sense, uh, I spent many time with my coaches looking into that drawer and uh, searching through and uh, taking out some goods, looking at, putting back, taking the next one, looking at, putting back, until we have found the one, the helpful one. And uh, so the um, um, the an important thing is to to take that time, to take that time to discuss and to look at and to really analyze uh, what is helpful and what not. Do you have some, some for, for our listeners, some practical tips how they could start to work or, and evolve personally and maybe professionally um, those new skills for themselves and maybe for using them inside their company? Well, Talking about trust, um, there are some some scientific studies how to create trust and how to to be trustfully. And uh, well, the, there are some well some some stages steps to take. Uh, and uh, for example, show respect and be interested in the ideas of your people. Uh, it's so important. Uh, how can you trust someone who does not show respect towards you? So, if the leader is showing respect, if he's interested in you and your ideas, that's a good first step. The next is do not pretend. Uh, do not lie. So, and never think that your people and your team, your teammates are stupid. Your people is much more intelligent and much more, um, yeah. They they have much more sensitivity for things going wrong that you might think about. So do not pretend, and very important, keep your promise. Yeah, don't come up every day with a new promise and never keep it. So if you want to be trustful, then that someone trusts in you, then keep your promise. Then it, there, there comes a little overlap with the transparency. That means share your knowledge. Um, only if your teammates have the feeling that uh, you don't hide something. Once they have the feeling that you share everything, they start trusting. Yeah? 
unfold your targets, one of the next steps, and the most important, communicate, communicate, communicate. Once you do not talk to your people and your people does not talk to you, how can you create trust? It's uh, mankind has to talk. We have to talk to share information and uh, well to, to make clear also your, your ideas, your vision, yeah, that to understand each other. Yeah. Well, and last, uh, accept and admit that you are not unfailing. Yeah. So uh, if you take these most important uh, 10 steps, then uh, there's a big chance that people start trusting in you and that you are uh, a trustfully leader. Okay. Very interesting because uh, we, I, I think we have this uh, topics of, of transparency and trust uh, had several times in our podcasts and webinars as well. And it's very interesting that is each person, like have, we have a general understanding of what this is about trust and transparency. But if you, when you go to the details, what everyone is really understanding about it, it's getting all, uh, always like diverse, you know, it's a, a wide topic. Yeah, it's difficult to, to, to say, well, you have to do this and then will happen that. So people are different and uh, Someone can try to respect all others and he will never uh, reach to be a trustfully person because of, I don't know, uh, something that does not work. Uh, but uh, together with transparency, um, trust plus transparency, then uh, you have the chance to get a real strong leader. And transparency well, has directly to do with the not pretending, not lying, uh, unfolding uh, the the targets, your targets. That's all part of transparency. Yeah, and have no hidden agenda. Yeah, because if you think that your agenda stays hidden, you're wrong. Hidden agendas are always detected. Sooner or later. No. Sooner or later, yes. And then, once you have lost trust, it's hard to rebuild, and it's nearly un impossible to rebuild trust. Or, or, or to rebuild it like the way, the same untouched way it was before, yep. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think we we talked uh, about that before in our prep talk. Um, uh, we spoke about like safety and communication and why this uh, this is so important inside the company. Um, do you have ideas uh, how what can be done to optimize optimize such safety, uh, especially in virtual and distributed working teams? Well, the the sender of the information has to make sure that the information is really received correctly. Um, it's not the one who receives, it's the one who sends. So taking the case that I sent you an information verbally, uh, you do, you understand whatever. Um, well, it's not your task to make sure that, because you don't know if it's correct or not correct. So I have to make sure. And, uh, 
my I have an example I love very much and uh, go to YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go go to YouTube and uh, look at these seven for seven landing in Los Angeles or whatever. There's nice YouTube videos and uh, look at the communication how the pilot communicates to the airport tower. And uh, so the the airport tower gives a command. And the pilot has to repeat that command, making sure that he understood rightly. Well, it's not that we can copy one-to-one -one in, uh, in, um, in the daily life, in the daily business life, this way of communication. But at, in, at the aircraft, it's about people life. It's, it's important that the command is understood correctly. And it's only an audio command. There is no, no uh, WhatsApp craft or whatever sandwich. It's only audio. And that's why they repeat both sides. In that case, both sides make sure that they have understood correctly. But the tower finally has to be sure that his command arrived correctly. That's why the pilot has to repeat and send back and say, well, uh, whatever aircraft, number, blah, blah. So uh, it's not the, the, the doing we have to uh, copy, but looking at the concept yeah, is the sender has to make sure that his command, his information arrived correctly. How you do, well, this is uh, how you work together. Yeah? So you can ask for confirmation by email. You can, uh, uh, yeah, say, please repeat or please tell me what did you understand? Uh, what are you going to do now? Um, or what's your plan now uh, after I have told you that you have to do this and that? So um, there are different polite ways to make sure that the receiver gives you an answer about what he received or she received as, as information. Yeah, but that's, it's so important. And um, looking at the, the virtual teams or all teams we, we have now, the global teams, there are only a few people talking mother tongue. Supposed I mean, right to. now we are talking not Malasong, we are talking English and we both are Germans, but we want to have uh, our audience worldwide understand exactly. us, you know. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. I have experienced so many teams, a fellow from India, from the United States, from uh, South America, from France, from Spain, all together and speaking English as the, the lowest denominator. Uh, so, but... Out of this group of 10 people, uh, only two have been mother tongue speaker English. And uh, yeah, then it's so easy to misunderstand, uh, specifically if you have people together from different cultures, not only the, the different languages, the different cultures. And uh, yeah, and in addition, if you have only audio and no video, You can't see the other person, uh, the gesture and uh, the, the eyes blinking or whatever. Uh, the misunderstandings are provoked so easily. That's why 
being responsible for that group or that team or being responsible for the information transfer, you have always to make sure that the information is received correctly. And that's the sender. In my understanding, it's the sender who has made sure that the information is received correctly. Yeah, and from what I got, uh, what, what you explained right now, uh, a crucial is like always have this feedback loop, like really to make sure what I have sent out is understood and what action is going to uh, be taken afterward. And is this action uh, going to be implemented right away? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in our German culture, we sometimes feel as, as uh, not polite to ask, did you understand correctly what I told you? So it's a, so it's a language thing then to make sure that your question or making sure that the receiver received correctly. It, sometimes it's a little bit delicate, but in my opinion, there's no other way. Correctly, especially as we enter in this new uh, world of uh, working more and more with distributed teams over all over the globe and virtual virtual teams. Um, uh, that enter um, maybe in traditional companies. Uh, what would you say um, to a traditional manager or to a traditional company in order to get fit for the future? Why should they care to have a strategy in place and how to implement to work with remote teams or virtual teams all over the globe? Why is it, why is it important? In, in actual times, the need and the the delivery are not distributed even so it means that uh, maybe there's a capacity or a skill need or a knowledge need in mexico and the 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 respected person uh, or the the you find this skill in france so in earlier times you had to relocate this person from France to Mexico at extremely high cost and uh, taking much time to relocate. So first, you do not have that time anymore. You can, cannot wait months until person A has moved to Mexico, time-wise. Second, cost-wise. Uh, to relocate someone or expatriation is extremely high cost uh, thing. So uh, there's no other way because we have no even distribution of skills, of knowledge and capacity. That's it. Mm, but how, how, um, how would you... Um, uh, approach a, a, a manager that is maybe still working in like more more or less an isolated uh, environment in in his company should should have uh, 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 but should be able to work with uh, virtual teams or distributed teams but is still not uh, aware of it or there may be concerns or um, he, he doesn't like it what, what what would you tell a person like that? Why and how should they start to work with virtual teams? Well, there are two simple calculations. We can sit together and then we make a three-evil calculation about cost, cost of relocating someone, and we can make a simple calculation of time needed to relocate someone. 
or to get that specific knowledge to the place where, where you need it. So the, the analog way <laughs> in that respect is uh, by far more ex expensive and time-consuming as the digital way to bring people together. That, in, in, in that case, virtual teams have a, a cost factor, a, a, a cost saving, which is enormous, plus the time saving. But the, the cost saving itself, it's unbelievable high. And uh, yeah, the most managers will have no other alternative in the future. Yeah. And um, I'm, you know, I'm also uh, supporting uh, companies structuring their recruiting process. Um, you have the situation that in some regions, nobody wants to move there. Nobody wants to relocate in that region. Um, we don't talk about international transfer. <laughs> also, we talk about local or, or regional transfer from region A in Germany to region B in Germany. Uh, you have a lot of people, they don't want to move. Uh, or they don't find uh, affordable uh, uh, living. Yeah, we, we are starting to experience that uh, you, you need to or your, your uh, working location is around Munich, uh, many people cannot afford to pay the rent around Munich. So uh, th there are many factors uh, which are uh, stopping people not to move, uh, or which are stopping people to move from region one to region B. But once you need that knowledge, once you need that skill, you have to find alternatives. And I, I believe strongly in virtual teams. And uh, like we both, we communicate perfectly. Uh, and uh, we both communicate uh, around the world. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, there are jobs you cannot replace by virtual teams, for sure. But all knowledge workers can work in a, in a virtual environment easily. But, and then some steps back of our talk, this works only with trust. If you don't trust your people in your virtual network, uh, forget about it. Uh, you will be never able to control a virtual network or a virtual team. Command and control is not possible which is okay for me and, and good because command and control is 20th century. It's not 21st century. Completely right. Wow, Christian, this was a really interesting talk. Um, I, I, I had a lot of takeaways like about new leadership styles that you talked about, especially about the, the advantages that, that uh, companies and people can have while working and uh, distributed in virtual teams. And um, especially that background that you brought in with your huge experience with HR and this long uh, history. Um, let, let me ask you a closing question. How uh, can our listeners get in touch with you when they want to reach out to you and speak to you in person? What are uh, good ways to get in contact with you? 
Well, very easy. Uh, modern tool is LinkedIn. So yes. if they like to contact me, they shall do it via LinkedIn. And uh, there you find my contact data. And yeah, we we will find the time spot to talk. Cool. Sure. We're gonna put we're gonna put your LinkedIn uh, contact on our podcast so people are can easily find you. Great. Thank you very much, Christian, for this interesting talk. Uh, thank you as well for um, participating and taking your time today. Thanks to our audience and we see our, uh, uh, you in our next episode here on Virtual Frontiers. I'd like to thank our guest, Christian Klein, for joining us today. You can find out more about Christian and leadership for a networked world at people-management.org or you can just click the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to The Virtual Frontier or leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. If you want to learn more about virtual teams as a service, visit flashhub.io. On behalf of the team here at FlashHub, I'd like to thank you for listening. So until next episode, keep exploring new frontiers.